Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In today's episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have Tina Wiles. Tina is a specialist in assisting adult learners in overcoming standardized test challenges. A unique approach builds confidence, teaches effective strategies, and addresses mindset issues crucial for success. Notably, Tina improved a struggling post-secondary school certification exam passing rates from 8% to an impressive 79% within one year. With a background in engineering and teaching, she's helped over 5,000 individuals achieve remarkable results with 99.99% experiencing score improvements. Tina's holistic approach tackles root causes of test anxiety, providing tools to conquer fears and perform at peak levels. Hi, Tina. Good morning. Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking your time out for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, Tina. Tina, uh, so first question, what do you do? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> so um, I am a professional tutor. Um, I've been tutoring mainly um, ACT and SAT test prep for um, almost 17 years now. And um, I consider myself an expert in test anxiety. So I work with wow. students. Yeah, yeah ma mainly. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, please. Please continue. I, I, I think it's because of the lag. Okay. I was just going to say that I mainly work with high school students. And I've also started to work with post-secondary students. So college students and professionals having to take certification and standardized tests like licensing exams. Right. So, Tina, did you start off training uh, to, you know, be this or, um, you know, were you doing something else and then you switched paths? So what's your journey like? Yeah, my journey is I'm actually an engineer. So I attended the University of Michigan and got a degree in industrial and operations engineering. And I did work for Motorola for nine years manufacturing cell phones. So like the ancient original flip phones is what I worked on. <laughs> right. So uh, what made you, you know, take up this from that? <laughs> yeah. How did I end up here? Right. So <laughs> I never planned on leaving engineering. It just so happened that time in my life. I started a family and I had a very long commute to work. And so I just ended ended up leaving engineering and trying to find something that I was passionate about that I could work with while um, starting a family out. And a friend asked me to tutor her son in college level math. And I'd always thought about teaching someday, but when she asked me to help him, it was like, I saw fireworks, right? Like, I was like, this is what I want to do. Right, great. So uh, you didn't kind of, you know, seek out your student, right? Your just friend happened to know that you could probably help him uh, out. And then, you know, you were approached. And that's how it all started for you. And yep. um, at what point you thought that was, that was going to be a scalable, feasible thing for you to do, for you to be able to generate revenue to, you know, kind of live life. Yeah. So the first thing that happened was after I met with him and I was like, okay, I love doing this. I really didn't know where to begin. So I went to one of the storefront 
tutoring places, right? I was like, oh, I'll just go work there. Um, and I did work there for about three months. It was not a good fit for right. me. Um, and the main reason it wasn't a good fit is because what I really liked about tutoring was building a relationship with the student. And it, it didn't happen at that storefront tutoring place, right? Like you had different students every time and you really didn't have time to talk to them. So I, but I did find out while I was at, at the tutoring center that ACT and SAT had become a much bigger deal since I had gone to college. So there was some prep back when, when I went to college, but it was more like, hey, wake up early Saturday morning because you have a test <laughs> versus the <laughs> billion dollar industry it is now. Um, yeah. So when I left the storefront place, I actually went to Kaplan. So Kaplan is uh, one of the leading test prep companies and they have a group um, called Premier so mm -hmm. it's a division of the company where they do in-home private tutoring for ACT and SAT test prep. So what I loved about working for the company was they find the students, right? So I had was working, oh, you couldn't work full-time, but I was pretty much full-time. I was really close to 40 hours a week with students. Um, and with... By the end of my first year working, I was the lead math and science tutor in the Chicagoland area. And a couple months after that, I started um, training other tutors and I was writing for Kaplan Publishing. And that's when I was like, all right, <laughs> if I'm doing all this for Kaplan, why can't I do it for myself? <laughs> so that is when I left Kaplan and went out on my own. And that was about 13 years ago. Almost 14, awesome. yeah. Awesome. That's uh, quite a thing, right? I mean, you go there, you become the lead tutor, and then you train the tutors, and then you write for them. And um, tell me, all that was possible for you in the way that you described because of your engineering background. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm a part of it, right? So I I have the book smarts, right? I know how to do <laughs> how to do the problems. And I did really well on the exams when I was younger. Um, I think my degree in engineering, um, especially the operations part of it is that I try to break things down and make them simple to follow steps. Right. So I have, right. I have an ability to make complex things sound pretty easy. <laughs> and so I think that helped me from my engineering background. Um, and then just, I I have a passion for helping people. And for me, the test scores is really about building confidence. I mean, yeah, it's reviewing some content, but it's really about helping students see that they actually can do it <laughs> and break it down. Right. And then it becomes a lot easier. Great. Tina, I'm just going to, you know, touch upon a few aspects of this entire transition, right? From someone who is doing a hardcore engineering job and then, you know, transitioning into teaching and then there are like sub transitions within that i'll come to it but when you you know you had your reasons why you wanted to kind of you know leave your uh the motorola job mm -hmm. but um is it like what's the mindset like because you're already making some amount of money right 
yeah. it's just you know were you simply confident that you know it was just going to be a it's not going to be a big deal or what was it like or you know you thought oh it's going to be a tough thing but you know i have no choice what was the mindset like <laughs> that's a really good question and looking back on it i'm i'm always like that's probably one of the the more impulsive decisions i've made in my life <laughs> Um, but so at the time I had a one-year-old, he had just turned one. Um, I was working, technically I was working like, uh, I think it was 25 or 30 hours a week for Motorola. Um, but just like normal, right? Like if you work 40 hours for Motorola, you're not really working 40 hours, you're working 50 hours. So I was getting paid for, you know, the 30 hours and really working 40 plus. Um, but I had a two hour commute each way to go to the oh, office. Each way. Wow. Okay. Each way. Yeah. So that was honestly one of the biggest, <laughs> um, biggest influences on my decision to leave. Um, it was also a period of turmoil at Motorola. So mm-hmm. um, as happens in the in the large companies, right? Like every couple of years, there's like a shakeout and a bunch of people are let go. And so I was hoping I would be one of the people that was given a package <laughs> to leave. I asked, they told me no. <laughs> um, but the, so I reported to someone who reported to the vice president of supply chain for right. all of this, the cellular division. And she was very high maintenance. <laughs> she needed mm-hmm. a lot of support and she was moving on to corporate. So another, basically it turned out that I knew my job was going to end up being eliminated. Mm. Um, but I had other possibilities, but I was like, okay, this is all happening right around the time of, I'd like to have a second kid. I'm already commuting so far. Right. So, um, right. It was more like, I was just like, and I'm done. <laughs> and right. trusting that everything would work out somehow. Um, I have a very supportive husband um, who is like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> um, and I knew that I could look for another engineering job, but it was more just like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> and I left. So it was but at that- very risky. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and at that point in time, you had no clarity that you're going to start teaching, right? That oh. happened later, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Good. So, and I did like um, I did a little bit of teaching myself how to program some websites. Um, I tried to do some things with my dad for a business with working with homeowner association, right? Like, I mean, like I tried like a couple different things. Right, um, right, right. <laughs> I tried. I love cake decorating and I tried cake decorating at a local grocery store. And I was like, okay, that is not for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, but then I found my path. Thank goodness. When my friend asked me to tutor her son. Oh no, thank you for sharing all this because these are exactly what I wanted to know. Like, you know, Oh, how can it be so simple? You know, somebody is doing an engineering job, they quit and then they cut teaching. No, there are a lot of, 
roller coasters that is happening in between. Yeah. And that's exactly what I wanted to. Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of from. roller coasters. And then I also was pregnant with my second one, right? So right. I was like, and now we need some more money. And what do I do? And <laughs> like trying to pick up, oh, I can teach myself to program and I can do some websites for people. And I did that. But it's really trying to find the work, right? And putting yourself out there. Great. Tina, uh, you said, you know, when your assignment or, you know, the project that you took up with your friend's uh, son yeah. was a success, that's when you went out, you know, you thought you, you didn't know where to start out from. And then you went out to the storefront sort of a tutoring thing, right? Now, you said yeah. it was not the right fit for you. And then you moved to another bigger organization. Now, uh, why did you choose to move to a bigger organization rather than, you know, probably starting off on your own? That's a great question. So I felt, so I had only at this point, I knew ACT and SAT was where I wanted to focus. It mm -hmm. was what I did a little bit of training at the storefront place, um, enough to know that it was a big deal. And they paid their tutors more that did ACT and SAT test prep. Um, and um, I found out that where the Kaplan that I was going to work for paid more than twice as much as the storefront place I was, right? Because it's a very specialized tutoring. Because yeah. <laughs> um, not only are you teaching the content and the stuff that they need, but it's, like I said, it's like confidence and like helping them really believe that they can do it. Um, so I started searching out ACT and SAT tutoring jobs and happened to find the, the Kaplan one. Um, to work for Kaplan, you had to start off taking an ACT and you had to score in the 99th percentile in order for them to even continue, continue the interview. Right. So I was wow. like, okay, this really is like elite <laughs> stuff, right? Like, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have to know what you're talking about. Um, but why I didn't just go out on my own, which I never actually like made a conscious decision not to go out on my own. But looking back now, I think it's because I really didn't feel like I had the knowledge, mm. right, to, to go out. And I mean, yeah, I could pick up a book at the store and like work through it. But I just hadn't like developed <laughs> um, the a lot of the skills that I think would make it a lot easier to work with students on my own. Got it, Tina. Of course. Tina, so you said, you know, uh, when you were doing a bunch of things uh, for, uh, you know, the company that you were working for, you thought, okay, why not uh, do all these for myself, right? Uh, yeah. How long did it take for you to feel confident that, you know, okay, why don't I do all these for myself? That's a really good question. So, and the funny thing is, is I could, I, I could count it for how many kids I had. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, it took, it took about two and a half years <laughs> to go from, Good. right. The, the, I started at Kaplan to when I was like, and I'm ready to move on. It was, a, that was also a scary leap, right? Because I had a pretty decent income, um, and a good reputation. I got a lot of referrals, um, through Kaplan. Um, mm -hmm. but I knew that I could do it on my own. <laughs> right, right. So uh, you said, you know, 
within a few months of joining, you know, you were the lead tutor and all that. Uh, what was what was your experience like working in that organization? You know, navigating um, things inside, and then you know, getting to do multiple things. Were you offered it, or did you seek it out? Uh, you know, to gain experience. What was your mindset like? Um, I was asked to do it, um, right. and part of it was so um, you would get bonuses um, when, on Kaplan based off of the point increases your student would have. And um, I, my students did really well. Right. So because my students were improving their scores mm. and because I was taking on a lot of students, I think is why they mm-hmm. asked me to be the, the lead tutor for math and science, right? It, they could tell that it was something I was very passionate about versus I didn't even know it was a position, <laughs> right? I didn't know it was a possibility. But um, a lot of the employees that they had were students themselves going to college or graduate school. And they knew that I had kids, right? And this was like what I was doing. (laughs) This wasn't like, let me fill a couple of hours and make a couple of bucks. This is what I was passionate about. Great. And uh, when you say lead tutor, uh, does that mean that kind of uh, indicates that you got to train the other tutors? Is that what it means? No, so it, oh, I, I ended up starting to train them, but the the lead tutor was more like I would, if anyone had questions, they were directed to me, or if they didn't understand how to like work through one of the problems, or there was an issue with a student, um, so, or like if a, 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 a student and a tutor didn't get along, I would be the one that would come in and take over meeting with that student. Right. Got it. Got it. And uh, how is your experience training others? You know, what's the difference between, you know, being a SAD, ACD tutor versus uh, training other tutors who are, you know, aspiring to be an SAD, ACD tutor? Um, so training others is a little, ugh, I love doing that as well, but it's a little bit trickier in that you have to make sure that they have both sides of they actually understand how to do the content, right? They have the knowledge and they can go through the problems and do well on them. But then they also have the ability to break it down to teach someone how to do it, right? So uh, we've all had teachers that know their stuff inside out, but they can't explain what they're doing, right? So right, just because right. you know how to do it doesn't mean that you can actually teach it. Got it, Tina. That's a, I think that's a very important thing. So uh, in your in your experience, you know, while you train the trainers what was the most uh you know what is that that you understood that uh you know what was the major gap between somebody knowing something and somebody being able to teach something i'm asking this on behalf of all of them listening you know who you know who are pretty good at act and SAD, who did well but as a teacher they might lack so you know what are the things that you commonly found that people lacked when it comes to teaching the skills that they knew um listening is the right. is the biggest issue, right? So that you want to explain it a certain way, but you have to make sure that you're listening to what the student is saying. So you're explaining it in a way that makes sense to them, right? So I do you do need to do a lot of reading body language and right? Like I you could be talking through a problem and like explaining it and like I look up and be like, okay, that that 
you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'll be, mm. You're right. I'm completely lost. Right. So being able to like catch up on the catch on those cues and listening to what the student is and sometimes what they're not saying. Right. Right. If they're right. just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> right. Then changing and wording questions so that you can make sure that they actually understand it. Got it, Tina. Great. And Tina, so let's say, you know, when you're doing group teaching, right? Um, mm-hmm. There is, there are like so many students with, you know, there's so much communication happening. Like you said, you know, so many students, so many bodies and that much body language. Uh, so what's in your experience, the ideal amount of, you know, the ideal number of students uh, you can have in a group maximum uh, to make it, you know, an optimal process or an efficient process and not make it a waste. So that's a great question. So I did go back to school um, and got certified to be a high school math teacher. So I took like a like a two year gap <laughs> where instead of tutoring the couple students, right, I was in the classroom um, teaching. And I would say for like the small group or like the training sessions, a maximum of eight students um, seems right. to be a really good number simply because a lot of the the work that you do and what you're going through and asking questions and people are teaming up um, with more than eight, it seems like everyone doesn't get the same amount of feedback that they would when you're in the smaller groups. Right. Got it. And uh, you said, you know, you took a break. So that's a, what's that about? Like, why did you decide to, uh, you know... <laughs> That's a great question. So what what happened was so now I have, but when I right when I started my own tutoring business, I had four kids. I have four sons, and um, when I left Kaplan, I started putting some things on websites, right to mm-hmm. um, to try to build a client base. I also um, had still had referrals coming in where Mm. instead of calling Kaplan, people were calling me about stuff. Mm. So, and this was right, uh, like 2009, when we had in the the US, we had the housing bubble burst. (laughs) And my husband's um, in the housing industry is where he works. So we took a major hit on his income. And for me, all I had to do was say yes to more people, right? So it was like, as, as, as busy as I wanted my schedule to be. So I kept saying yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. And pretty soon, I was working seven days a week, and over uh, probably like 50 hours, 50 to 60 hours a week, but I was also traveling to and from each student's house. And uh, my oldest at this time had started elementary school. Hmm. So I would be home during the day with my little kids. And then as soon before he even got home from school, right, I was leaving to go out and and tutor. And I was tutoring 12 hours on Saturday and 12 hours on Sunday. So I was like, I never see him. And as everyone gets older, I'm never going to see them either. So I was like, oh, I'd always thought about teaching. I'm going to go back to school and become a high school teacher. And then when I teach in the school system, our schedules will align, right? That was that was like my, okay, this is a genius idea. This is how I can like still do what I love and have my family. <laughs> right, right. Um, and 
I did love working. So I did an alternative certification program since mm. I already had my engineering degree with all the math that came with it. This alternative certification I went through was really just to teach you how to be a teacher. So right. it was very intense. It was 12 weeks. And then when like eight hours a day for 12 weeks. Um, and then when you were done with that, instead of student teaching, like we typically do in the States, um, you actually were hired as a teacher and your student teaching was really your first year of teaching. Like you actually had your own class versus helping someone else, right? They knew these um, alternative certification people couldn't not have any income for a semester, right? right? And that's what right. student teaching is. You're volunteering, right? And so they're like, no, we realize you have families and you just want to teach. So um, again, don't ask me how I keep ending up with these crazy commutes, but I ended up working in inner city Chicago and okay. I live out in the suburbs. So again, it was like an hour and a half commute um, each way. And I was teaching um, very high needs population, right? Inner city. I loved being able to help them, mm. um, but it burnt me out so fast because right. with that commute and where I was working and the requirements that were put on for when you stayed after school and what you had to do in the classroom and being a new teacher, right? Again, I was never seeing my kids. And I'm like, this is the total, I, now I'm not seeing anybody. <laughs> right, the total right. opposite of what I wanted. The problem so, is not solved. Oh, no, it was not. And I ha basically had a breakdown. <laughs> and I mean, it was fantastic. And it was actually my, my, um, my doctor, Dr. Shaw, she, I had tutored her kids. And when I went in to see her, because my husband's like, my wife won't stop crying. <laughs> like, I need to bring her to the doctor. And she was like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I went to school to become a teacher. And she's like, you are an amazing tutor. You're not going to go back to teaching because you're going to end up in the hospital. And by the way, Nooper needs help on her essay this week. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I went back to tutoring and within like a couple weeks of leaving teaching and going back to tutoring, I was back up to having a full tutoring load again. <laughs> Right. You know, uh, can I, you know, see this episode? Is this how you saw it? Sometimes to kind of, you know, like work with what you have, you need to go experience something worst for you to feel comfortable. Yeah. With that. Is that how it was oh. for you? Oh, absolutely. Right. Like you think the grass is greener and yeah. oh my gosh. And if I'm, if I'm teaching, right, then I'll be home in the evenings and I'll have my summers off. No, the summer between the, my years of teaching, I was training all summer. So not, and I wasn't even at home. I had to stay over, <laughs> but I was gone for two weeks of the, the summer because I had to be at this training. So I was like, yeah, the, gr <laughs> the grass is not greener. And when you're classroom teaching, um, the, what I love is like that aha moment with students, especially right. in math, right? A lot of people have problems with math and when you're like, no, this is a yeah. Imaginary numbers is no big deal. Right. Here's what an imaginary number is. And they're like, that's all it is. Like, yeah, yeah. That's right. But in the classroom, you're, it's more like 
why aren't you giving demerits for people that like aren't paying attention and like all the classroom management stuff versus getting to have those interactions with the student. I mean, don't get me wrong. You still get the, some of the interaction with the student, but yeah, not yeah. like, not like non-teachers think happen. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, just a slight detour from the actual thing, you know, this whole experience, right? Um, you were working seven days a week. Uh, you weren't able to see your older kid. And then you decide, you know what, let me do something that will, you know, fall align with their schedule. Even that didn't work. So what was your takeaway from this whole experience? Tina, like a life lesson no. or something. Yeah, right. my life lesson was to say no. And to, because before I left to go teach, I was like, well, if I don't say yes, like I don't have any time, but if I don't say yes and figure out some way to fit it in, who's going to help them, right? With how I had thought before. And mm. after going through the teaching, it went to, they will find somebody. <laughs> there are lots of people out there that do what I do. And it's not my responsibility to help everybody. So, oh, okay. So you didn't uh, take up so many students. Uh, I thought, you know, your um, husband was going through a certain financial situation. Yeah, and he that. was. Yeah, yeah. And he was, right? And so I was, that's why I started taking so many. But then it got to the point where I was just like, like I said, I mean, 12 hours Saturdays right, and Sundays. Right, 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 and right. right. And I was like, I would go for like sometimes 30 five 36 days in a row where I wouldn't have a day off oh my god okay yeah because I would be like oh I'm gonna take a day off and then someone would be like oh but can you meet and I'm like oh well if I meet then I get the money and I get to help them right and so yeah I'll meet <laughs> um because I was but doing a lot of ACT and SAT but also um classroom like helping with right. homework and getting ready for just right. tests in school right, 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 right. So, uh, you know, to the people who are listening, what do you, is it healthy to do what you did going 36 days without a break? Or, you know, would you say no matter what, you know, you need to kind of take a break, recuperate, and then, you know, you need that self-energizing time? Yes, without a doubt. That is not healthy what I was doing. Um, right. It was causing health issues um, and mental health <laughs> and physical health. And, um, really, um, I don't know if you have, if, um, you or the listeners have heard of the analogy of like, basically thinking of yourself as like a pitcher of water and, mm -hmm. and you're pouring and giving to everybody. And if you don't stop to fill up the pitcher, you don't have anything left to give anybody. Right. Right. right? And so, and I wasn't filling up my pitcher. <laughs> and so, um, yeah like self-care and taking downtime and it's not only okay it's necessary <laughs> right and i think a lot of times especially moms feel right. like oh no but this person needs me and i need to do this and i need to do this and i should be doing this yeah if you're saying i should it's an automatic no <laughs> because right. you're like guilting yourself into it. Right. So, um, yeah. So basically learning to put up boundaries is what going through that entire process taught me. 
Got it, Tina. Thank you for sharing all these. Tina, uh, you said, you know, 17 years is the number you said, and I can see, yeah. uh, you know, I can kind of see blocks of those 17 years, how it went, because it took uh, quite a number of years for you to kind of settle in to, you know, yeah. your own, you know, your my tutor and stuff like that. But um, talk about, you know, what are the things that you started to change to for you to kind of, you know, feel comfortable, you know, get stable and then, you know, not have those burnout moments? Yeah. So one huge change I made. So when I left teaching and came back to tutoring um, and good it's like nine years ago so i've been back doing this for nine years full time and i um for all those years i had basically been working out of my car and driving to students houses and meeting with them there because that's what i did at kaplan premiere and i just always thought well if i stay somewhere they're not going to come to me right Mm -hmm. um and i flipped it because it was that was a lot of my time went to traveling and I couldn't have back-to-back students because I mean I would but I'd have to have like a half hour between them to be able to to drive from one yeah Yeah. so that was kind of on my mind and then the other thing that I thought was I'd had a waiting list for people wanting to work with me when um when I was tutoring and I thought well now I went to school and I know how to teach groups I should try teaching a group and see if that works. So this is, so the first group I taught, um, I rented a room at the library um, and I started telling all the students that I was working with and obviously putting stuff up on social media, but um, that I was starting this group, right? And I remember, I was like, it was kind of like, if you build it, they will come, right? I had no idea. The library kept calling me, asking me for the money to rent the room. Mm. And I was like, I'm just going to pretend like they're not calling me because I didn't have any students that had signed up yet. And I was like, but I'm not ready to let the room go. And I remember my kids would come home from school every day and be like, did anyone sign up yet? I was like, no, not today. They're like, it's okay, mom. I'm like, if it works out, it works out. So the last day that the library was like, if you don't pay by tomorrow, we're going to release the room. Mm -hmm. Um, I got three phone calls. Wow. And three students signed up for the class. Right. So I was like trying to visualize people in the class, right. Like trying to still be open and leave space for them. And sure enough. So I ended up with three people. So it started this small group. Right. And I had, I'd already, I wrote like a workbook I use with my students and um, I had all the, created all the curriculum for it and everything just kind of grew from there. So after I started doing the the library, it's pretty expensive to rent the library. And I was like, I wonder if I rented an office somewhere, mm. then I really could do where people come to me and I have a location for the groups. Right. Um, so I found a location um, and I was there for a year before I was like, you know, this is a shared space. Let me try to get my own place. And so then I moved to my own office um, where I had the groups and the, and the private tutoring. 
Right. And then earlier this year, I moved to an even bigger office where now I have room for a couple of tutors to meet with students and still have the pri the small group area. And so it all kind of just continued to grow. Great. Great stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I got a sense that, you know, the way you uh, spoke about teaching one-on-one -on -one personalized classes to group, there is, you know, a lot of adjustments or uh, adapting to be made as a teacher. Uh, in your experience, what were the changes that you had to kind of, you know, bring in to address a group of students rather than just one student in front of you, Tina? Um, being able to um, talk generally enough, right? Because when you're when you're sitting there going with a student, and I can ask some questions quickly and figure out where they're at in different topics then I can adjust what I'm going through with them, right? Where when you're in a group, right. you're trying to balance the, I have this material that I want to cover, but I also want to make sure that no one's bored because they already know all this, right? But you're not moving fast enough that you're leaving people that don't understand it behind. Right. So it's like a, a balancing act as you go through. Um, so with the groups, I'll follow up by text with students to make sure like, you know, hey, how did this work? Um, I try to make things interactive. Um, I try to like um, get people talking, right? Which is really hard, right? You have teenagers that might all be from different schools and don't know each other, but like facilitating some, um, like conversation and getting to know each other just to, I mean, I love what I do, but I don't want to be there if there's like a group of people that don't want to be there. Right. Like I try right. to make it fun. Right. Um, and they'll get more out of it if they're enjoying it and what we're talking about. So um, it's still like reading the room and being able to see if things are landing with students. But yeah, it's kind of the the pacing is also different um, to like figure out how long you're going to spend on different things. Yeah, it's funny talking about this now. I mean, like I can like think back to like my first group at the library and I had everything written down like. I'm going to do this for five minutes and then I'm going to do this and it's going to take this long. Mm. And now I'm like, Oh, I have a class tonight. Maybe I should think about what <laughs> exactly we're going over. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and uh, this is the three students that you're talking about the last day or, that you had to kind of keep the. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so Tina, uh, just, just to recap, you know, you were doing the, Kaplan uh, premier thing where, you know, you go to, uh, you know, students home and then you come out, you do it on your own and uh, you had no problems getting students. You had a lot of referrals, yeah. but then uh, that's the point in, you know, at, uh, you know, which you decide that, you know, you're going to try group classes because, you know, you had some experience teaching in school. Now uh, you had a little bit of a hiccup getting those three students, right? For whatever reason. Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, and, it, well, and it's because I found out it's actually a different type of student. So I thought all these people on my wait list, well, well, they just want to work with me. So if I do a group, they'll come over, but it's actually 
like some students don't learn well in groups and they do want the the one-on-one, right? So I was like, oh, this isn't just contact everybody on my wait list and they're going to want to come to the group. It's a different marketing. <laughs> right. Very, very important. Uh, thank you. Uh, let's let's just talk about this a little, right? Uh, so you're saying there are some people who are clear that they want to only do one to you know one on one, and then there are some who are open to trying group. Um, is 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 this just have to come down to the financial aspect of it? Because obviously one on one is going to be a little expensive for the students, whereas group is not. Right. So is it just about the money for the students? Tina? Um, sometimes it's the money. Um, one reason. So I've set I've put all my kids, my own kids through the group stuff first. Um, I think the group stuff opens them up to other questions that people might have that they haven't thought of or looking at a problem in a way they hadn't thought of when we discuss things, right? Um, And also just seeing what other people are struggling with too, where when it's the one-on-one, they have in their head what they think other people are doing, but they don't actually have it in front of them, right? So you, the money is part of it. Um, and some people need the like the deep dive of private tutoring. Um, and then the other reason that I have people go with private tutoring is because maybe they only need one or two sessions. Maybe they're already really strong in one area. And so they don't need help in that area where in the group we go through both things but you know all of it got it great so you're saying some students consciously chose group tutoring for the other benefits that you said wow okay. yeah yeah and um as a as a tutor you found this more um efficient and profitable for you yeah uh, oh much more profitable much more. yeah okay and yeah. Uh, did it uh help you with you know cutting down on the number of hours that you put in every day or yes. did you think, oh, you know what? I'm going to do the same number of us, but you know, I'm just going to make so much more money more faster. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did it first, right? So I was still doing, I would do two groups on Saturdays and still tutor all day Sundays and then tutor during the week as well, right? Um, and over the past couple of years, as my kids have gotten older, so um within the next couple of weeks here, I'm going to have two in college, (laughs) one in high school and one in middle school. Right. So I was like, I can no longer work on the weekends and I still get asked to do it all the time. And I just have to say, I'm sorry, if you want to work on the weekends, I could find another tutor for you or recommend some people. But, um, that weekend time is now what I need to be able to see my kids in college or just to have my own downtime. So, um, yes, things, the, the groups changed things in that it gave me more flexibility. I still like doing the, the groups. Um, I don't know. They both have like different advantages to me. Got it. Got it, Tina. So, uh, Tina, now, you know, Nine years uh, before is when you kind of started off on your own and, you know, it took some time to stabilize and stuff. And then along the way, you had your office, you know, you started doing your group classes. But then, you know, we had also the event that happened in 2020, uh, the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what happened at that point? Is that the first instance that you went online? No, I had, luckily, I had been online. I actually had some students in Dubai 
Um, and I had one in China once, right? So like, and, and across the US. So I had been using Zoom for years. So um, luckily that helped me with that learning curve. And um, I'd already done online classes and stuff. Um, probably the biggest wrench for me was that it put the testing industry into a tailspin. Mm. So when we actually shut down, um, we shut down, the, the announcement came on a Friday and there was an SAT scheduled for Saturday. So wow. all these okay. students that had been preparing for six weeks found out the night before that they weren't taking their test. Right. And oh. then every time they kept scheduling tests and then canceling them and you wouldn't find out until the night before and then you're trying to reschedule, right? And then you didn't know if colleges were still requiring test scores like they had. So um, that was probably the biggest headache of trying to help students feel like they were prepared <laughs> still, right? Um, even though like we're like, well, we're preparing like you have the test, but right. just so you know, you might find out the night before you don't. and um, so, yeah, that was probably the most stressful thing <laughs> uh, about it was trying to help students manage their frustration. Got it. Tina, I'm just going to go a little bit back. You know, I just wanted to ask you another question when you when we spoke yeah. about one on one to group. You said the marketing is different for both of them. Right. Um, how what what changes that you had to do uh, in terms of marketing to, you know, uh, kind of fill up your group classes? So um, I have experimented with all different types of marketing from like putting ads in church bulletins in the area to um, ads on school websites um, to uh, like I'm trying to think of all the other things I've done, uh, different apps. Like there's a next door app. I've tried right. putting ads there, right? Facebook, Instagram. Um, the, um, the thing that I found that helps the, and I, there's still like no magic answer, um, with mm. private tutoring, I don't really need to market. So that's all word of mouth. And, right. and, and honestly, the groups are starting to get a little bit more word of mouth too. But yeah, I've, I don't, I don't know if there's like one magic thing. I wish right. there was, cause then I would be like, yeah, I'm going all in on this. <laughs> so I'm still kind of experimenting and trying to, to figure out what's best. Um, it also kind of goes in waves, right. right? Just like anything in life, the, the groups, like upcoming groups, I would have thought like we have some big tests coming up here and there's some huge changes to the SAT taking place. And I would have thought that they would all be filled. Right. And I would like, do I, I would be facing the question of, do I need to add more classes? Right. Because of how many people are doing it. And I don't, it's so hard to predict. Right. So I'm like, I have a couple people, but not what the demand I thought that there would be. And I don't know if it's because people just don't know that it's taking place. Or they're like, we'll just wait and see what happens, right? So, yeah, it's, but it is, I found that it is a different type of student, right? So if a, a parent calls me to say, I want to do private tutoring, 
they don't want me to say, okay, so I could do private tutoring. And here's also this group, which the group is cheaper. They're like, yeah, no, I want private tutoring, right? Like <laughs> they have right. it in their mind. And I do live in a very affluent community. So that's part of it too, right? It's where, where you're at. Got it. Got it, Tina. So uh, did uh, the event in 2020 change your business for good or, you know, was it temporary and you're back to your old ways? How is it now? Um, I think it changed for the good um, that I think just the resilience of like getting shut down overnight um, and obviously no one cared about school anymore because at least in Illinois where I'm at, everyone was told that their grades couldn't go down. They, they could only go up. Right. So then, okay. I'm like, why did they say that? Because they just told literally every kid, it doesn't matter what you're doing in school. <laughs> right. Um, so, and all the testing stopped. So, um, it gave me time to work on some projects that I'd always wanted to work on. And, um, I published, so I have one book called, um, slay the test ACT. And I was able to write slay the test SAT, which I had been meaning to do for a while. So like it gave me some time to work on projects. Um, but I think the biggest thing that came out of COVID for me was just realizing like the, the resilience and that you can make it through. And I honestly, I think we're still recovering in a lot of ways. Um, test anxiety is is higher than ever so it used to be for k through 12 um so that's our elementary and high school system that it was um one in ten students had test anxiety and now it's one in five so it's doubled um and so that's i'm kind of leaning into that right now (laughs) and um because there is a lot of tools that you could use, which I've used for helping ACT and SAT for for quite a while. But um, on like a bigger scale, right? The the test anxiety is like a form of performance anxiety and it can be applied to pretty much anything in life. Interviews, um, obviously exams, but like a presentation you have to give, right? and being able to work through that right so i've been doing a lot with that post covid um although it's rising again i don't know if we're ever really going to be past covid (laughs) but the um (laughs) but the uh, yeah i would say it overall i think it helped my business and just helped me be more confident about things got it and uh, is it more online now than before 2020 or do you have a you know a balance between online and uh, classroom training team um for me it's more in person now than it was i mean obviously for a while it went online um right. and i've always had students online um but if i look at like the students i have currently i have fewer online students than I did pre-COVID. Wow. Okay. So it's mostly in-person. The majority of your students are in-person. Mm-hmm. 
great. Is that is that a conscious choice that you made, Tina, or is that the need uh, of the market right now? Because um, online of kind market. of, you know. Oh, wow! I, th- okay. I think, um, I I think, um, because I have a lot of tutors that want to work for me that will do it online, and I don't have the demand for for people meeting online. I think they want to meet in person. I think um, a lot of the students that went through the e-learn, like tutoring online is completely different than teaching to a class online, right? So there is a a huge difference between that. But I think there's almost like a post-traumatic stress um, from a lot of students did not do well with the online instruction. And so the thought of tutoring online is something they're not even close to like would not cross their mind right but i have i have a couple students online right now and they see phenomenal results so it's all you know what i mean it really has nothing to do with it but i just find that most parents and will even drive so i have one that drives like 45 minutes to come see me rather than meet online yeah but as a tutor, what do you what do you, do you have a preference at all? Yeah, if given a choice, would you go completely online? No, I prefer meeting in person. Wow. Okay. May I know? Can you just share why? Yeah. Um, I can pick up a lot more of the subtle clues as far as if someone's getting or not when when I'm in person. And I could see the work that they're doing, right? So we could talk about it and they can tell me whether they're getting the answer right or wrong, but I can't look at their math problem and say, oh my gosh, you just forgot to distribute the negative (laughs) or, you know what? So, um, so I, I prefer meeting in person just because, um, yeah, it feels like I said, like I could pick up those subtle cues a lot faster. Right. And um, I could still, I've been doing it long enough. I could still pick it up online, but it's just a harder thing to be able to pick up. Right. And also the change in uh, scenario, the change in atmosphere for you to come out of your house, you know, travel, that little thing, you know, as a human being, does that, you know, do you look forward to that, you know, getting out of the house? Oh, absolutely. Going back right, right, right. Instead of yeah, just being yeah, stuck at absolutely. one place and then you're doing online, yeah. you know, right. Great. Uh, you know what? Um, of all the people that I've spoken to, uh, most of them have kind of gone completely online after the pandemic, right? Oh. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yours is the first story, you know, where I'm uh, kind of, this is this is like very refreshing to me. <laughs> that, you know, somebody is like come back to, oh, they're like relieved to be doing in person. And I totally relate to you, you know. Because, I mean, everybody have, uh, you know, Despite all that, people have admitted that, you know, nothing beats in-person training. Even as a tutor, there are a lot of people, you know, who got into teaching because uh, for, for, for uh, some people, it's performance in front of an audience. You know, they get yeah, a lot of yeah. energy from that and stuff like that. But great. Yeah. Got it. Oh, and I do. I get a lot of energy from meeting with students. Like if I'm not feeling good, like I can tutor like yesterday. It happened to be I wasn't feeling very good and I had okay. six students back to back. And it's like something it's like if you hear about like doctors telling when they're in surgery, like how they like 
go into the surgery and it's like everything like pauses like nothing else it's kind of like that i feel like that when i tutor right right like, right, right okay yeah. <laughs> like, go through tutor and then i finish and i'm like oh my god now i'm ready for bed <laughs> but um yeah that's i'm um i guess i'm not surprised right. that so many people are still online and it obviously like opens up the people that you can meet with from from mm. everywhere um but that makes it almost harder right because then how, how basically how you find the students right um right and yeah so interesting though got got it dina dina uh so i think uh this we can probably you know conclude this style of uh interaction i still do have a lot of questions yeah. but it's it's okay. i'm also thinking those questions can be very objective and you know we can okay. we can make it a very focused and directed uh yeah thing with you know it'll make my editors and the distributors job very easy to cut okay you know what cut this yeah, and put yeah, it as a yeah. reel so i've got oh, some absolutely. i've got some questions in my mind uh, to start off with, you know, you can also tell me uh, what are some of the things that, you know, you can like tell like a listicle or, you know, three things that I did to do to, you know, ch go from here to here, stuff like that. You can think about such things or, you know, it could be uh, some tips and advice to SAT, ACD teachers or, you know, some tips that you'd like to give students that you see and stuff like that. So, okay. Here are my uh, topics that I have in my mind, right? I, uh, on what basis, uh, first thing that I have in my mind is how does a student pick between ACT and ACT? And, you know, so that <laughs> it, is, uh, it is to their strength. And, um, of course, talking about anxiety is not objective. But uh, right. if you can, you know, share effective tools you know three tools mm -hmm. that students can use to kind of overcome their uh prep anxiety or you know test anxiety which is definitely one of the big things probably you've found out it's in it's you know happening to one in five but it might be more and some students oh, may not absolutely be. I, yeah <laughs> i think so. that's low but <laughs> yeah and uh because especially it's when it comes to high pressure yeah when yeah. it comes to high pressure exams right it's more than that yeah and there's so much of overexposure via social media these days you know you're just not left alone right i mean you literally have yeah. to like shut off very consciously so yeah that is one more thing that i spoke uh, that i thought about and um it's because you uh you're like uh you know one of those i don't know at least in my experience i haven't met a lot of people you know who are doing a, a in-classroom training effectively like you know that's being, being the major thing so what is what are your uh, although you said you're still figuring out what are the best marketing ways but if you can tell me the top three marketing uh tactics that worked for you uh these are the three things that i have in my mind right away uh, yeah you know. yeah yeah and then after this you can probably think about things that you can probably share that are most commonly needed okay. for the students and teachers as well right okay so uh, do you need some time to kind of gather your thoughts um no i think i'm good okay great i'm going to start with my first question so how does a student choose uh you know between act and sat fantastic question so act and sat um pretty much cover the same material like math varies a little bit 
um, but it's really the same stuff. Um, the SAT, you have more time per problem and it's more of a verbal test, like vocabulary is more important. Where ACT, the timing is quicker, but the questions feel like they're more to the point. There is a big change coming up with the SAT that is going to make, well, it goes all digital, that is going to make it um, more in line with the ACT as far as you can use your calculator the whole time. There's Desmos is embedded in the software. And um, so really, if someone's trying to decide between ACT and SAT, the best thing that I would recommend is they actually try a little bit of each. Um, not necessarily a full test, but just get a feel for the questions are worded a little bit differently and which one um, resonates more with you. Or, and honestly, which one you dislike the least. <laughs> Great, thank you. Tina, my next question, very much related to the same thing. If you have to associate character traits of students, you know, okay, you know what? If you have these, these, these traits, you go to ACT. If you have these, 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 you go to ACT. If you have to just, you know, from your experience. Yeah. So if you are really good in English and reading and vocabulary, um, SAT is probably going to be the better fit for you. Um, if you're better in math, in science, the ACT is probably going to be a better fit. Great. Awesome. Tina, what are some of the tools, the top three methods or tools that you'd suggest to students to overcome their te uh, test anxiety? So the first thing to overcome test anxiety is your breath. And it sounds super simple, but what it is, is test anxiety and the, our body's reaction to it is a form of the flight or fight response. And the first thing that we do, biologically speaking, is we start to breathe shallow. And that's what causes the sweaty palms and the butterflies in your stomach. So if you can control your breath, take your breath out of the autopilot mode it's in and actually consciously breathe, um, like a deep inhale for a count of four, hold it for a count of four, exhale for a count of four, and hold the exhale for a count of four. It's called box breathing. Um, if you can do that and take it out of the automatic mode, it's going to put you in control and it's going to flood your body with oxygen and you'll start to feel better almost immediately. So that would be the first thing. Um, the second thing that you can do is to stop the negative thoughts. <laughs> okay. The thoughts that come in where you're like, I not, of course, I'm not going to do well. I always struggle with this. Um, or, oh, I always get this and this question wrong. So I'm sure I got this, right? Those kinds of thoughts. If you find yourself talk, talking like that, you almost like need to like make yourself like at a, like press a pause button <laughs> or something, right? And stop what you're saying and rephrase it in a way that you would say it if you were talking to your parent or your best friend or a loved one, right? So you can... Um, you could say it, but you need to say it in a way that's nice, okay? Because your power, your words have a lot of power. And when you have those negative thoughts, um, it is it going to make you do worse on the test? I don't necessarily think so, but I'm not going to help you perform better. <laughs> um, and then 
let's see the the third thing i would say is trust your instinct okay like trust your gut and um i find a lot of students that suffer from test anxiety either get stuck between answer choices or they'll actually put an answer down and then go back and change answer choices and when they find look at it they usually change it from the right answer to the wrong answer so um trusting your gut is that we have we're bombarded with so much information any given second and consciously we can only process 40 to 50 bits of information so what that means is the majority of what we're processing is actually processed subconsciously okay so the perfect example is the temperature we feel the temperature all of the time but you only think about the temperature if it's too hot or too cold, right? Your subconscious says, hey, conscious, do something about the temperature. So when you're going through and answering questions on a test, sometimes you might not know why you chose the answer that you did, but it's because you chose it subconsciously. There's a reason you chose it, but you're, why you're questioning it is because you didn't consciously make the choice. And it's where you need to kind of learn to trust that. Um, and basically it just boils down to don't change an answer unless you're positive you were wrong. <laughs> Not like the, I don't think I'm right. So I'm going to change it. Only if you're positive, you're wrong. Can you change it? Neat. Uh, thank you for that, Tina. My next question is, as a primarily classroom ACT, ACT test prep business owner, what are, the, what are your go-to marketing strategies to get students? Um, word of mouth. So asking students if they um, have referrals or can talk to their friends, because if they've gone through it and done well, right, they're more likely to tell their friends, um, hey, this is what you need to do. Um, it's probably the number one tool for anything in business, right? The, the second thing that I do is um, finding areas where your target market is. So for me, for the groups, my target market is actually the parents of the students because they're the ones that are making the decisions. And so like Facebook mom groups and stuff <laughs> is where I'll post about upcoming classes. Um, that also helps with referrals in there too, in the, those groups. Um, and then the third would just be keeping a presence on social media so that like whether it's whatever social media you choose <laughs> i would just choose two two and stick with it don't try to do all of them um but choose two and do those well and just keep up with the content and have a presence and provide good material that help people so they start to use you as a resource great great Tina. thank you so much Tina, um, okay, yeah, here is my next question. Tina, as far as your business is concerned, what are the top three apps that you go to on your phone? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, Telegram is one I go to a lot because my assistant um, is on that. He's located in the Philippines, so that's what we use. Um, oh, my goodness. Now I need to look at my phone. <laughs> Um, uh, I use Acuity for scheduling. 
Um, right. So that's like, I have a calendar for people to schedule um, of both my groups and my private tutoring. So I use the Acuity app um, quite a bit. Yeah, checking my checking my email all the time. Oh, LinkedIn. I've been trying to get better about LinkedIn. Right. Okay, so uh, let's just do, uh, now that you know the three apps, you can probably, you know, do a quick one. I'm going to ask you the question again. So, okay, Tina, what are, the, <laughs> what are your three go-to apps as far as, you know, for your business? So Telegram for communicating with my assistant. Um, LinkedIn for trying to build a community. I'm trying to um, show up as an expert. And, um, oh my gosh, I already forgot what the third one was. I think that's your email app. Email. Yeah. Email Great. app. Cause I'm on that all the time. Great. Tina, uh, my next question to you, uh, as far as online teaching is concerned, what are the, I'm not going to put a number to it, three, four, whatever, you know, what are your top problems that you're facing today? With online? Yeah. tutoring um for one of my problems with online tutoring is that i have a physical workbook that i that i use with students for them to take notes and like guided notes in so getting them those materials and i feel like they need the physical materials because when it's online like a like a pdf and i'm trying to teach them online they can't take notes like i want them to so that's one of my obstacles is i actually get them um physical materials um another obstacle is checking answers and i could tell like they could tell me whether they got a question right or wrong but i have to ask a lot more questions as far as what answer did you choose tells me a lot more than just that they got it wrong. And I can see that when I'm in person with someone where I have to ask about that online. Um, and then the third thing online is I find that some students don't seem to take it as seriously when, when they meet online, right? Um, I don't know if it's a holdover from COVID but they um, maybe not necessarily doing all the homework or it's almost like the teacher can't see what you actually did, right? <laughs> well, just like in school, the teacher still can figure out <laughs> what you did and what you didn't do. So um, I think the buy-in and the taking it as serious right. would be the three things, yeah. Good. Okay, here's my next question. So. What tools, if taken away from you, the tech tools online, you simply wouldn't be able to do online teaching at all? Oh, my gosh. Um, being able to write on my computer. So I have, like, a, a computer where I can, like, write all over the PDF. And pre-being able to do this, I had a tablet that I could that I could write on and it showed up on the screen. But I wouldn't be able to tutor online if I couldn't be able to write and show them what I'm doing. Um, I think that would be like the main one. Main one. If I, that's like, yeah, if I, if that's the only thing that I could think of that if you took it away from me, I'd be like, I can't do it now. 
<laughs> anything else I'd be able to figure out. <laughs> but if I can't like write, that's that's it. It's I'm done. <laughs> Got it. And what's your most favorite software when it comes to online teaching? I use Zoom, but I was using Zoom beforehand. Um, I like that it's really easy to record um, and download. Um, I like that I can annotate on the screen, um, save clippings, right? So like, it's just, and that's also just what I'm most familiar with. So. Great. Now, uh, here's another question. It's a big if. If there is one, okay. what's one thing about Zoom that annoys you the most? Ooh. That's a good question. Hmm. Well, if you have to think so much, I don't think there is any. So great. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, and nothing nothing like pops out to me like, oh my gosh, this drives me crazy. This is um, like a big pain right now. Yeah, nothing like that. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, okay. I can't think of Here's anything. another way. Maybe I'll try it this way. And okay. um, if you if you wish uh, for a software to be made, you know, with things that you would love, what would that be out of your imagination? Like, what is it that you miss about softwares for online teaching? For online teaching? Oh, here we go. I wish it had a calculator embedded in it. All right. So that okay. I could show um, what, you, or, or like, or SAT is going to have Desmos in it. So maybe a Desmos embedded in it, but that you could, because some of the strategies when it comes to taking a math exam involve using that calculator. So being able to, I, now I can share my screen and show them the calculator that I have, but if it was within the software, that would help. And the... It, part of it is because I have, I can write on my screen. Um, I don't know if there's a way for a software to let the user, like the other, the student be mm -hmm. able to write on the screen if they don't have, I mean, I know you can do like where you move the mouse and you try to yeah, yeah, write, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's very difficult to do. <laughs> and so we don't usually do that. Um, so you mean to say if it's, if it's possible like, to kind of use your finger and write without having a stylus yeah. kind of surface, right? Yeah, right. yeah, right. yeah. Got it. Got it, Tina. Tina, uh, I'm done with all my questions. Are there any um, things, you know, that I may have missed you want to share? If there's anything, let me know. We can do those. Like for um, reels or stuff. Those things that you'd want to like put out there or stuff. Whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah, I would say um, if I had like three things that I'd want business owners to know, right? Is they're they're trying to to grow their business. Um, the first thing is that mindset is a huge part of what you're doing, and um, the being open to growing and learning more. And every time I've up leveled, um, you come up to new blocks and things that you need to work through, right? Like I, so um, there are some amazing books on the subject, but that's one thing I would keep an eye out for would be mindset stuff. Um, the other thing I think a lot of business owners do is one 
easy way to procrastinate is to be like, well, I need someone to teach me what I need to do, or I need to, um, I need someone to tell me what to do. Right. And I actually keep a mirror on my phone and on my laptop to remind me because I need reminding that I already know what I need to do. <laughs> I already have the answers within me and to stop looking for other people to tell me what. So, and that kind of goes back to trusting your instinct, right? But, um, so that would be a second thing I would tell business owners is um, stop looking for elsewhere and look within, as you already know. Um, and the third thing is, to just keep at it, that it does feel like an uphill climb. And it really is like a roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur. And some days you're like, this is amazing. And other days you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> right. Um, and that uh, I keep notes from those days that you're like at the top so that you could look at them when you're having the days that you're struggling or when you're struggling, there's usually a reason why, and maybe it's, you need to step back and give yourself some space, but um, just being gentle with yourself. Thank you, Tina. Anything else? You're welcome. That you can think of? No, I think we covered a lot of it. Great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just thought maybe just in case, you know, sometimes uh, just asking the one extra question <laughs> triggers some yeah, thoughts. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to let anything go to waste. So, yeah. So, uh, Tina, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, it was uh, lovely listening to your journey. It, it's it been quite a roller coaster journey, you know. A uh, <laughs> lot, of, lot of little subtexts with each one of those yeah. things, right? It's not, it's not as simple as it sounds when you told, you know, I was working nine years and then I moved here 17 years. Wow, but there's so much within yeah. that. So oh, that's, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. There's so great. much. Yeah. And uh, so thank you. You asked some fantastic questions. Thank you. Thank You're you. You're a so good much, interviewer. Tina. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, you seem to be doing great. And I wish you all the very best. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by Edison OS, a no code edtech platform to operate an online education business. Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.